you took the time out of your day. Whenever you might be watching this, might not be morning when you're looking at it, but either way, I am glad that you took the time to step aside and just for about 30 minutes try to get in depth in the Word of God. This is the 16th lesson in 1 Corinthians, and uh, we're in about chapter 9 and 10 there, got 16 chapters in total to go through, and so we're making a little bit of progress, and I hope that you are learning something. And uh, remember, you'll get a whole lot more out of our study if you read the book of 1 Corinthians and read it again. The more you read it, the more things you'll see. And then when I reference things, you'll understand what I'm talking about. It is impossible for me to go verse by verse through 1 Corinthians. Otherwise, these classes would take years. And, um, and that's okay if that's what we're focusing on, but if trying to get through one book in, you know, in a couple of years. But um, in the 30 minutes that we have in this format of a growth group, we are just trying to kind of touch down and get the overview. And remember that the book of 1 Corinthians is a response to a letter. It's a letter because of a letter. The church at Corinth had written a letter to Paul. They had asked some questions, and Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in response to their questions. And there are eight problems or enemies in the church that he is dealing with. And we have gone through several of those, the enemy of division and the enemy of marriage and the enemy of impurity. And we have been talking about the enemy of doubtful practices or questionable things. And remember in chapter 8, 9, and 10, Paul is dealing with these questionable things. And it was extremely hard. This is all a review. We talked about it in Lesson 15. It's extremely hard for a Christian in Corinth to separate himself from the ungodly practices of the city. And uh, you know from studying here and other places how wicked Corinth was. If you want to know, just read Romans chapter 1. Paul wrote Romans from Corinth. And it's kind of like he's looking out his window when he's writing chapter 1. And uh, so these Christian individuals would attempt to go to the market. And the cheapest food there would be the food that was offered to idols. It was the best quality for the best price. Was it okay to buy that, being that it was offered to idols, even though they knew the idol wasn't real? And then any kind of social get-together, any kind of trade meeting or club would use the temple as the meeting place. And the temple was full of the temple prostitutes and all the immorality that went on there. Was it right or wrong for a Christian to go to anything? that It's not temple worship, but it's at the temple. And how do I deal with these things? And so... Paul states the principle in chapter 8, and then remember he illustrates it in a positive way from his own life in chapter 9, and then he illustrates it in a negative way from the children of Israel in chapter 10. And so last time we were together, I was telling you some things about the way the Apostle Paul illustrated it in a positive sense, how he denied himself, and that is the key to questionable practices it's self-denial for the sake of my brother, right? If in any way it would defend my brother, if any way it would cause him to stumble or to think less of Christ, then I ought to avoid it. Not to exercise my rights and my liberty in Christ, but to always be considerate of the other brother. And remember last time we were together, we talked about the fact that many people use the verse, all things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. Paul says it twice in the book. And what Paul meant was not that all things are lawful, but all things are lawful that are not wrong in themselves. There are some things that are certainly not lawful. All right? It's still wrong to kill. It's still wrong to commit adultery. It's still wrong to steal. It's still wrong to lie. Those things weren't lawful to Paul. Paul was just saying when it comes to questionable matters, 
that aren't listed explicitly in the scripture, they're lawful to me, but they're not always best for me. And I always got to consider my weaker brother in regards to that. And so Paul gives us the things that he denied himself in. All right, He denied himself in having a wife. He denied himself in taking a salary. He denied himself in having relationships and friendships with the men of the world, Jews and the Gentiles. He denied himself that he might win the prize. So he wouldn't be a castaway, wouldn't be set aside at the end because he had indulged his life in things that do not matter. And that was kind of where we stopped last time, that there's a prize to be won. And Paul said, there's some things that are not wrong for me, but I have to set them aside because they hinder my progress. And we get the same idea in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where he talks about running the race and laying aside the sin and the weights. And the weights are just things, they're not sin, they're just a hindrance to my race. And uh, I can't always make direct application to your life because I don't know what the weights are in your life, but you certainly know what the weights are in your life. You know the things and areas that you struggle in, and you know things that distract you from the overall goal of serving God. And I have watched many, 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 can I say it again? Many, many Christians and Christian families who have gotten off track in things that were not wrong in themselves, but they became wrong to them because it diverted them from what God wanted them to do, invested their life in things that do not matter, and this just consumed them, these things. And because of that, they have lost the goal that God desired for them to have in their life. Now, when we ended last time, I was going to give you some principles to deal with in doubtful practices. And before I do that, let me just remind you that chapter 9 gives us Paul's positive example. And chapter 10, which I'm not going to deal with in a lot of detail because it just gives us the negative illustration of it through the nation of Israel and their lustful idolatry. The things that they wanted and the plague that got sent through because they demanded things that were rightfully theirs. And you can read that whole spirit. That is the negative side of these questionable practices. But when we approach these questionable practices, how do we handle them? What are the principles that guide us? And last time we were together, I talked to you about questionable practices that some of them have become so accepted to our shame that nobody even questions them anymore. But is it right for a Christian to, to dance? Is it right for a Christian to go to movies? Is it right for a Christian to drink in any degree? Is it right for a Christian to smoke? Can a, can a woman dress this way? Is it right for Christians to go to the beach? People used to argue about these things. Yeah, we don't want to talk about them anymore. Is it right for a Christian to play cards? Can a Christian go to a casino? These things wrong, are they right? And we need principles to guide us in these things. Now, if you're expecting Brother Dusty to say, this is right and this is wrong, I'm not going to because of the nature of this. Now, if you talk to me outside of this, I'll tell you my opinion on some things. But the reason why we're discussing them is because they are questionable. They are doubtful. They're, there's some, some grayness there. It's not black and white. Otherwise, I could just lay it out for you. All right? I could go through the Ten Commandments. But these things aren't listed in the Ten Commandments. Can I listen to secular music at all? These, these are questions people have. And so let me give you the principles that are broad enough in their application. You need to apply them. And please don't listen to the principles without applying them. All right? If you don't apply what you've learned, why bother learning it? All right? These things in Scripture ought to guide us. All right? First of all, can I do what I'm doing to God's glory? 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you watch on Netflix, do all to the glory of God. That's kind of what it says. Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I'll be candid with you. There's things, you know, my wife and I would 
watch sometimes. I'd start a series and partway through it, my conscience would bother me. I'd look at her and she'd look at me and we'd quit watching it. Quit watching it. All right? Not because I'm so spiritual, but because mm, I, I'm not going to watch this to the glory of God. It, there's some, it, it bother me. And I'm not saying that everything you watch has to be exactly Christian, but man, if it grates on your conscience, God gave you that for a reason. Listen to it. Don't just sear it. Pay attention to it. Do it for the glory of God. Secondly, secondly, which is what I just said, does it hurt my faith-controlled conscience? All right? Romans chapter 14 talks about doing things uh, in faith, uh, not doubting. And if I do it in doubt, it's a sin unto me because I couldn't do it in the full confidence. And let me just go ahead and tell you, when it comes to doubtful things, give God the benefit of the doubt, not the doubtful thing the benefit of the doubt. Most of us always give the doubtful thing the benefit of the doubt instead of giving God the benefit of the doubt. Hey, is it absolutely necessary? Do you need it? And what I mean by faith-controlled conscience is this, conscience is this, is that your conscience can be trained to respond in a wrong way. You can. You can manipulate it. Oh, you know you can, all right? But my faith-controlled conscience, my conscience that is yielded to God and desirous for his lordship in my life, which is the theme of all of 1 Corinthians, will dictate to me, hey, this is out of place in your life. And if you have those feelings, find out why. Listen to your conscience. And if it bothers your conscience, don't do it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Peace. Peace is priceless. It's priceless. And there have been many, many days I haven't had it. But there's been enough days that I have had it. I don't want to give it up so easily and so cheaply as I used to do. The third principle is found in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and repeated in a different form in 6.19. And it's this. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Does it injure the temple? All right. I know. I can hear you even though I can't hear you. I can hear you because I've had these conversations with people. All right. Take things. The obvious one. You know, smoking. Smoking hurts your body. Yeah. And so does fried chicken. I I hear you. All right. I get it. I get it. I understand gluttony is a sin and there are wrong things you can put in your body. All right. But we're supposed to treat our bodies with reverence and respect in the sense that it is the dwelling place of God. And the wording there when it says temple is always the word for the sanctuary, not the whole temple, but the holy of holies, the abode of God almighty. And so if I know things are specifically harming my body, I'll not do them. And when people say, well, it's all right to smoke because you eat fried chicken and it hurts your body. Yeah, but I have to eat. All right? I have to eat. That is a life requirement to eat. All right? Now, can I eat bad things? Sure, I can eat bad things. And my body makes adjustment for things. Now, I can't always eat bad things because it will affect me in a negative sense. I reap the consequences of my choices. All right? Smoking and putting those putting chemicals in my body, vaping and these kinds of things, they're they're injuring my body. All right, and you can't necessarily point out the inconsistency in somebody else. Well, look at you, you're fat to justify what you're doing. All right, and if you're listening to this and you consider yourself to be fat, I'm sorry, I consider myself to be fat. Most people do. Uh, not not most people don't consider me to be fat. Maybe they do. I'll have to take a survey on that. If you think I'm fat, put it in the comments. You know, I'm teasing. But uh, what I'm trying to, the point that I'm trying to bring out is that food is a necessary thing. Smoking is not a necessary thing. Vaping is not a necessary thing. Drugs and alcohol, they're not necessary things. All right? So I can't compare that, or it's an apple-orange comparison. I have to have food. Now, do I have to have food in moderation? 
obviously, all things in moderation. Can I be careful about what I eat? Yes. Can I take that too far? Absolutely. But the principle is, hey, your body's a temple. Be careful. Be careful how you treat that temple. Some of your temples have drive-through windows, evidently, and we're just filling it up with things. And, uh, uh, of course, I'm joking. But allow this principle to guide and to dictate what you put in your put in, what you put in your body, how you take care of it. You ought to. You ought to. All right? And I'll be honest with you. I know a lot of people who are hard on the sins of other people. And they don't exercise. They don't do anything. 50, 60 years old, overweight, struggling, can't breathe, you know, preaching. It's wrong. It's wrong. Your body's a temple. Take care of it. All right? And you know how to take care of it like a nut. You don't. There ought to be some steps where you're honoring the Lord and trying to take care of your body to some degree. All right? Anything can become an idol. I get that. And I'm not making application directly to anybody's particular life on specific things. But I'm just reminding you, these things that I put in my body, smoking, drinking, drugs, food, anything that goes into my body, I have to realize my body is the temple of Jesus Christ. And I have to be careful about those things. 619 says, what? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have gotten you, are not your own? All right? I should change my screen occasionally. Y'all should tell me to change my screen. All right? Um, my, the, my body is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I don't belong to myself. So I have to be careful about these things. In America, particularly, we need to be careful because food is in abundance. Most of us do not know what it is to go hungry for real. We don't. And uh, most of us could do better in this area. And we have to remember this principle. Our body is the temple. And if it's a doubtful practice, take this principle into consideration. All right. The fourth one, does it hurt the conscience of my weaker brother? All right. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. Let me read that with you. It says, give none offense, neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that many be saved. All right? Don't be a stumbling block to the Jew, he says. Don't be a stumbling block to the Gentile. And don't be a stumbling block to the church. Whatever it is in your life that you feel you have the liberty to do, do not exercise that liberty if it would cause a Jew, a Gentile, or the church to stumble, is what he says. All right? To stumble. Now, I have to be careful in the town in which I live because we live in a small town. And there are certain things I believe I have the liberty to do, some things I don't do in the town around I live just because I, I don't want to cause anybody to stumble. I have full faith and confidence and freedom that it's okay for me to do it, but I'm not going to do it. Not locally. No, sir. Because I don't want to cause somebody else to stumble. And we have to be aware of these things as well. Whether you realize it or not, someone is following your example. Someone is looking at you. Someone's watching you. And be careful. Be careful. What you do may be perfectly acceptable and you do in full assurance of faith. But how do they view it? How do they view it? Consider these things. Finally, the last principle. Does it hurt my testimony for Christ? 9.22. I didn't look up all of these verses, but I'm looking up this one. 9.22. To the weak became I weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. In other words, he said, how people view me as a Christian, affects my behavior. And to the weaker brethren, I will understand his weakness and I will be careful to protect my testimony. The goal is never my rights. The goal is winning other people. Let me just touch on this just for a second. 
when it comes to business dealings, you cannot separate your Christianity from your business deals. And you have to consider that how you work the business deal can affect the perception that people have of you as a Christian and the perception they have of the church that you go to. And I know many Christians who are caught up so much in making the money and getting the good deal that they sacrifice their testimony and their ability to witness to somebody in order to make things just and fair. Hey, sometimes take the short end of things, allow someone to think they took advantage of you in order to have the leverage to perpetuate your testimony and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pay for things that you really shouldn't have to pay for because you are in the right and they're in the wrong. But if it gives you the leverage to win the gospel, that's the greater thing. That's the greater desire, winning them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I'm trying to sell my house where I'm getting all of this from. There's some things that I have not wanted to fix at my house because it, I, I shouldn't have to, in my opinion. I shouldn't have to. But then God whispers in my ear and says, Who, whoever's buying your house, are they saved? Do they go to your church? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, they, they don't go to my church. Because I have never seen them at my church. Oh, so what's the goal? To get the best deal that I can get? Or be kind and tenderhearted and take them. Take the short end of the stick sometimes and do what I think needs to be done, even if it's not exactly fair or I feel like they're taking advantage of me. As a Christian, can you ever really be taken advantage of? Can you? Because the Bible tells us that you never lose by giving. See, man may think he's taking advantage of you, but you're laying up treasures in heaven. And God, the Bible says, if you give, it shall be given unto you. He's going to bless you and take care of you. And, and, and for, you can't be taken advantage of. You cannot be. Because God keeps the books. And he sets all things right. And do whatever it takes to lay down your rights for the sake of other people. These are the principles that ought to guide us in doubtful things. And whatever the doubtful things are in your life, be careful that you follow these principles. Go back and look at them on a regular basis. And simply do this too. If you're feeling concerned about something, just ask God to show you. And don't do it until he does give you the confidence and peace that you can do it in full assurance of faith. All right? And if he never gives it to you, don't step over the line. Give him the benefit of the doubt. He's able to give you much more than whatever it is that you're desiring. He's all he's able. And he always keeps things right. Now, Paul had some approach to some definite, to these uh, questionable things. And I want to show you some of them. He, in his practices, he avoided some common dangers in dealing with it. And I wanted to point these out to you. There, there are basically three things that Paul did uh, in understanding and dealing with these, uh, these questionable things and how he applied them. And the first is that he avoided the danger of limiting worldliness to outward things only. And what I mean by that is this. There are lots and lots of people who maintain certain standards publicly. And they consider themselves spiritual because they do so. I don't eat meats, therefore I'm spiritual. Meats offered to idols. You do, therefore you're not spiritual. Now, I know that doesn't apply to us because the meat offered to idols is not something in our culture. But all my life, I've grown up around groups of individuals who try to one-up each other on their separation. Somebody will say, well, I don't believe it's right to go to the movies. And another guy will say, Psh, go to the movies? I don't even have a television in my house. And somebody else will say, we don't even listen to the radio. And on and on it goes until you reach some nth degree of seven layers of separation where you put yourself off. And you make yourself, you, you, you use these things 
and you use them as a way of, of, of elevating yourself in the eyes of other people because you have separated from certain things. Hey, no, no. What is worldliness? The Bible tells us, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, all that is in the world, lest the flesh, lest the eyes, part of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. All right? Whatever is in the world, whatever the world does, is worldliness. Okay? And the world is full of sin. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. All sins fall into that category. All right? So let me just be honest with you. If you're gossiping about somebody, you're being worldly because that's what the world does. Right? If you're manipulating and conniving to make it out, that's what the world does. You're being worldly. It's not just these outward worldly things. All right? If I go to these certain places or do these certain things, therefore I am worldly. Anytime I'm acting like I acted before I met Jesus Christ, I'm being worldly. And Paul understood these things. And he didn't limit worldliness to just outward things. And there are a lot of people I know, a lot of Christians I know, who keep strict standards. But they ain't got no more relationship with Jesus Christ than a lost man does, barely. They just think they keep these things because it makes them spiritual. It doesn't make them spiritual. It makes them hypocritical. And I'm not necessarily throwing the standards out with them. I'm just saying if the standards aren't rooted in a relationship, they are pointless. You may as well go live like you want to if you don't have a relationship with Christ. You may as well. Right? If I don't treat my wife right, if I'm not right in my home, it doesn't matter that I don't cheat on her. Right? Doesn't matter because the relationship is destroyed. You're not beating her at home, but I ain't cheating on her. I have no relationship with Christ, but I'm maintaining these standards so that people think I'm spiritual. You're not spiritual. You're not spiritual. Not. And I know lots of Christians who don't do this, they don't do this, they don't do this, but they'll lose their temper. They're aggravated and irritated. They don't have a life of peace. They, they, they will take advantage of you. They help lie, manipulate. We don't go to the movies. Okay. All right. That's just all outward stuff. It's outward stuff. And those things do have value. I'm not throwing that out. I'm just saying, hey, get it rooted in the right thing. Worldliness is not just outward stuff. It's only inward. And if the outward's not a growth of the inward, it's not real anyway. All right. That's what Paul is teaching us. So second thing, Paul avoided the danger of not being definite in identifying the problem. See, this medium that we have, me looking at a, looking at the back of an iPhone, talking to you, is it's difficult for me to be definite because I, I don't know my audience. All right, I don't. So I've tried to talk about some things. But Paul, he was definite. Meat offered to idols. Be careful about this. Don't cause your brother to stumble. Specific, specific. Back to the point I made at the very beginning of our lesson together that you need to make sure that you are applying what we discuss. Don't just take in the principles without making it a factor in your life. All right? And then the third thing was this making personal preferences the litmus test of Christianity. These are doubtful things that Paul talks about, questionable practices. All right? Everybody has an opinion on them. Everybody does. All right? And if it was black and white, they wouldn't be questionable. They wouldn't be doubtful. All right? So give your brother and sister grace in these areas. Give them grace, all right? Allow them to grow. And understand as you grow, you'll grow closer to the Lord as well. And there are other things in your life that you will leave behind in your development. But make sure your brother and sister have grace. And don't walk around using your preferences as the litmus test for who fits in your group and who's spiritual and who ought to do this and who ought to do that. Don't do that, all right? Don't walk around with a judgmental spirit. That's worldliness. Don't do that. Don't do that. Keep all these things in your heart. Practice convictions that God gave you. Separate yourself as he leads you. And in your meek and quiet spirit, in your humbleness of heart, he will lead others to seek out why you stand where you stand without you having to be belligerent. All right? In fact, one of the 
mottos of Christianity today ought to be, are you mad, bro? You mad? Because we're always mad. Mad at everybody because they don't keep the standards like we believe. And you just go on Twitter, Facebook, follow anybody who's a conservative, fundamentalist, Bible believer. They're all mad. Why are they mad? They're mad. It's not the spirit of Christ. It's not the spirit of Christ. And it's using these outward preferences as the litmus test. Come to my standard. Come to my standard or I can't fellowship with you. All right? Look, are you going to heaven? You believe in Christ? You do? Born again, trusting him, his death and resurrection for your salvation? You do? Then we have some ground we can fellowship on. But these guys who fellowship, who won't fellowship with this guy because of a stand he has on a Bible version or a song or some standard. And I not only can't fellowship with that guy, I can't fellowship with this guy because he fellowships with that guy. I have to move myself, move myself, move myself. Until I'm standing over here in a little corner all by myself and I have no friends because ain't nobody saved but me. All right? Paul avoided all those dangers and I hope you will too. All right? What you need to do is ask God to give you some convictions. Ask him to give you his convictions. Give you reasons why you have them. All right? I know so many Christians who have no convictions whatsoever. Ask God to give you some. And when he gives you some, make them your own. Quietly enforce them in your life. All right? Teach them to your children. The why and the how. All right? Not just the what. Develop them. Stand on them. Allow God to lead you in these things. All right? And then the uh, second thing that Paul, his approach to dealing with questionable things was so good because he was completely separate from the world's system. Would you call Paul a borderline Christian? <laughs> Absolutely not. None of us would ever do that. Look at me in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. I want to show you this. Galatians 6, 14. First and second Corinthians, Galatians. Two books over. Notice 6, 14. He says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Please notice the double crucifixion in the verse, all right? Paul is crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to him. I'm dead to it. It's dead to me. Can that be said of our Christianity? Only the double crucifixion really leads a man to holiness. Double crucifixion. It's convicting. I'm being convicted, even as I teach it. Double crucifixion. Nothing to do with this world. What does nothing to do with me? I don't have to live in the world. I have to be part of it because I'm living in it. But I don't have to have its values. I don't have to live like it lives. I live on a different plane altogether. Let me show you another verse that illustrates it. Exodus 33, 16. Exodus 33, 16. This is when Moses is praying in the children of Israel. Look at Exodus. And Moses is pouring out his heart. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture. Um, there's many verses in it that I, that I love about Moses pleading for the grace of God and God going with him in these things. But verse 33 and verse 16, we'll get there. It always takes so much longer to get there when I'm talking and need my time to hurry up. Verse 16, he says, For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Moses said, what is the thing that sets us apart from everybody else? God's with us. God's with us. The presence of God is with us, and that's what separates us. That shows me two things. Number one, our separation is not just from something. It's to something. I'm just not trying to get away from God. I'm trying to get close from the world. I'm trying to get close to God. It's not just pushing away. It's running to. 
And really, if you're running two, there don't have to be a whole lot of pushing away. It'll fall away all by itself. And if you get full of the presence of God, it'll have a natural, it'll have a natural separation, all of its own, all of its own. Because you will not feel comfortable around the world, and they will not feel comfortable around you. The presence of God is what creates the separation. And Moses said, we're your people because you are with us. And that's the indication that we have true separation, which rooted in these things. All right. Now, let's go on to enemy number six. The enemy of disorderly conduct. Now, I know my time is almost up, but I want you to look at the two things. The two areas in which Paul is talking about disorderly conduct. Number one, and this is going to be a lot of fun. I know some of you are already getting steamed up. I can see the steam coming out of my phone right now. A woman's place in the church. I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to put you women in your place, all right? But it's an honored place. It's an exalted place. And I'm probably not going to say what you think I'm going to say, all right? And the second area is the disorderly conduct in the Lord's Supper. We'll deal with that secondly. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about something, all right? And if you can find verses to support your position, I'll be glad to listen to them. Of course, you will have to text it to me or put it in the comments. But there have been three basic positions, three basic positions, historical positions on women's role in the church. The first is that women can do anything, any position of authority in the church, women can do it. No big deal, all right? We'll talk about that next time we're together. Then there's a position that women can do absolutely nothing in the church, not allowed to do anything. And there are groups that practice that. Then there are groups who believe that God and his sovereignty can use women to do some things, positions of leadership in the church, including preaching, but it is the exception and not the rule. And there are some groups who think about that. And so next time we're together, I'm going to go through all three of those things. I'm going to give you points against each position, all right, and four and tell you kind of where I stand on it. And I'm going to ask you some questions that will let you know that I don't have absolute clarity on everything. Um, because we have to understand things not just as we read them in our culture, but how they were intended in the culture in which they were written. So be thinking about these things, and next time we're together, we'll discuss this in more detail. Right? Don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me. I promise. I'm going to say the things that the Bible teaches and apply it in a fair way to our culture. God has established some roles, but I think sometimes we have abused those roles in order to have the power that we desire to have, all right? With that, what's your appetite? Tune in next week, and we will discuss it, all right? So if you're watching this and need to do something for me, all right, first of all, like it. Thank you for liking it. Put a comment in there if it encouraged you, because I go back and read every comment, and it encourages me when it encourages you, all right? If you don't think this is difficult, you stand behind the phone sometime and teach out the Word of God with no response, all right? So do that for me. Encourage me. And then share it with somebody. Invite them to Rooted. Rooted is an open group that can join. Invite them to Rooted. Click share. Spread the gospel. And allow God to use these things in the lives of individuals all around the world. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for listening. This is Pastor Dusty, and you're watching Rooted.